Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples. On today's podcast, we welcome Dr. Eric Hedin, RTB visiting scholar, physicist, and author of Cancelled Science, What Some Atheists Don't Want You to See. Uh, welcome, Dr. Hedin, to our podcast. Thank you very much, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. All Good right. to be with you, Ken. Uh, Ken, tell Thank us you. what we can look forward to today. Yeah, uh, Eric, it's a pleasure to have you on our program. I know you're working as a visiting scholar, and we're very fortunate to have you here with us. Uh, I saw your book this morning. I'm dying to read it, and uh, I want to interview you a little bit about it. But, uh, Joe, we're going to talk with Eric about uh, his background in science, but also his faith, and uh, we'll get into a little bit about some of the courses he's taught and the content of his book. Wonderful. Well, as our listeners know, we have a stable uh, set of visiting scholars that come through RTB, and we're pleased to feature them when they're here, and there's that's no exception with the Eric, and we're pleased to have him on the podcast. Yeah. Eric, I wonder if you we could begin by tell tell us a little bit about how you came to faith. Was it early in life, late? How how did that come about? Well, it was early in my life, and I was fortunate, really a blessed to grow up in a family that had a genuine Christian faith. Mm. Uh, both my parents and grandparents, and um was part of a solid Bible-believing church called Highland Covenant, part of the Evangelical Covenant Church denomination. This was out in Bellevue, Washington. Yeah. So um, that's where I, I grew up and went to school in uh, Bellevue and then in Seattle. But um, so I think actually coming to the point of receiving Christ as my Savior was first in a Sunday school class mm. when I was about 10 years old. Um, it was being taught. It was a boys' class being taught by the son of our pastor at that time. And, uh, you know, I'd been in church all my life, even up to that point. Uh, but he, for some reason, just decided to offer an invitation to receive Christ that morning. And something inside me uh, kind of convicted me that I really hadn't taken that step yet, even though I'd been around church and the Bible and all of that, uh, hearing the word. But um, I prayed that morning, a Sunday morning, to receive Christ, ask forgiveness for my sins. Mm -hmm. And I, I just distinctly remember the reality of it. It was probably my first genuine spiritual experience because the joy of the Lord just came over me. I oh, remember wow. coming out of that uh, Sunday school class and it was before the service and walking down the hallway and just having this irrepressible smile on my face. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness, everyone is going to know that I received Jesus this morning. You know, <laughs> so as a 10-year-old boy, I was somewhat embarrassed by feeling so joyful <laughs> and not being able to hide it. And um, so I, I thank God for that true beginning uh to a relationship with Christ. Yeah. Now did you were you always interested in science and did did science pose a challenge to your faith did you ever view it that way or tell us a little bit about how you your education and your understanding of science from a christian perspective 
Sure. Um, I think, honestly, I could say I was always interested in science. Um, okay. I mean, earliest memories, uh, my mom taking uh, me along with my sisters to the public library. And uh, yeah. we could check out as many books as we could carry. That was her rule. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she didn't want to carry them. We had to <laughs> make sure we could carry our own books. But I always uh, was drawn to science fiction. And after you know some time of reading science fiction, I began to realize I really should read some real science books as well. And so I began to look in the nonfiction uh, section and check out non or just science books on various topics. And so I I just loved science from the beginning, and uh, I don't think there was any question in my mind when it came time to go to college that I would major in physics. It, it just wow. sort of seemed to me like. Well, that was the most basic of the physical sciences, and I might as yeah. well start there. Yeah. Um, so I uh, went to Seattle Pacific University and, uh, and majored in physics, um, where I received uh, pretty much one-on-one -on -one attention. You know, physics is always a small major, but at a smaller Christian college, I think I was maybe the only physics major in my year or there might have been one other and so had uh, really great mentoring by godly christian professors oh, great um and that impacted me a lot and um it was one of them that actually suggested i go to grad school and i had never even considered wow. the idea um so that led me to university of washington uh, phd program in physics but you know you asked is it any sort of a challenge yeah to my faith to be a, a physicist or a scientist. Yeah. And I've even had um, students ask me that who are Christians and know that I'm a Christian and, and they're maybe taking astronomy from me or something. And, and they'll come up and kind of shyly ask that question. Uh, and, you know, I almost, I smile and almost laugh because honestly, I feel like my background in, in science, physics, astronomy, actually adds to my faith. Wow. I feel privileged to have access to information, understanding from science that uh, maybe the average layman doesn't have, but that information has always, in my mind, been helpful to confirm the truth of the Bible with God as creator. And yeah. so it's far from being a, a difficulty, it's it's been a joy and a privilege. I took one physics class in college, and it was a, a very challenging course. I remember halfway through, I was kind of struggling with it, and I came to the conclusion that my mathematics background was not adequate. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it really led me to ask, why does math work? And, you know, how is it possible Einstein could have these, you know, concepts in his mind that would confirm match with the universe. And I thought, that's a remarkable thing. So I've always thought math, uh, you know, it, it it's seems the language of physics. Actually. Yeah, the language <laughs> of physics. All right. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about your uh, teaching a little bit. I know you you taught at Ball State for a while. Mm -hmm. You later taught at Biola. Um, tell us a little bit about your teaching experience. And have you enjoyed that? Yes, very much. And um, there was a specific reason that I, I uh, decided to go into teaching as a career. I started off in research. Okay. And um, so I was doing experimental plasma physics research, actually 
spent a couple years at a technical university in Stockholm, Sweden, wow. doing that, and um, then did some other research for um, a private corporation in a different field uh, of physics uh, back in Seattle. But um, it was seeing my pastor at church one day doing the Confirmation Sunday mm. and and all the young people that he had been mentoring for a couple of years in you know, learning the Bible. And um, it was kind of their graduation Sunday. And he was, the pastor was, uh, you know, congratulating each one on graduating from this uh, uh, sort of an extra intense course of mm. Bible learning. And I realized, wow, he has made an impact in their lives that will last throughout eternity. Yeah, And something within me just said, I, I want to have that ability to impact young people. Yeah. And so, you know, I wasn't a pastor, but I thought I'll go into teaching. And so immediately I began to apply for teaching positions. And um, so that I ended up first at Taylor University, a Christian college in yeah. Indiana. Right. And uh, taught physics there. And then um, after sort of a transition where I did some missions work with my wife uh, for a year, uh, ended up at Ball State, which was really the Lord's doing. I actually never even applied uh, <laughs> to work at Ball State. Mm. I I just um, kind of walked in one day to the physics department and sat down and talked to the department chair. And when he found out I could teach astronomy, he, he said, I'll give you a job because they needed astronomy professors uh, and physics. And um, it turned out this man was a, a believer, a very uh, strong, solid Christian, and a, a you know a seasoned physicist, and he was a great mentor to me. Um, but then I, I ended up in a tenure track position at at Ball State and taught there for a total of fifteen years. Wow! Um, did physics research um, in computational nano electronics, uh, completely different than my graduate training just because they didn't have anything going on in the field I had been trained in. So I learned a new field, um, which was great. But um, I found again in teaching astronomy, this is kind of where it all started because I taught two or three or two sections, maybe three sections a year of astronomy. Yeah. And um, a lot of students, maybe a hundred students per class. Wow. A hundred. Um, it was a, it was a general ed science yeah course. Yeah. And I think a lot of students thought, well, astronomy, I've, I've got to take science. That sounds easier than chemistry or physics. So, you know, I like the stars. We'll learn the names of the constellations. And <laughs> oh, they were sorely disappointed when they realized how much physics actually is in astronomy. But, yeah. but nonetheless, I could make the course fun and enjoyable because it um, always uh, had a sense of uh, this idea of wonder and beauty to it. You know, we showed a lot of pictures of the heavens and um it's just amazing i think in general people are amazed at what's out there yeah. and want to learn about it um you know even if it's something exotic like black holes but to build a bridge with students i often would ask questions at the start of the semester mm. just open-ended questions and i'd tell them you know i just need you to get out paper put your name on it I have to know who's here the first couple days of course anyway for the registrar. And um, so I'd say, okay, here's the question. Um, what one question would you most like answered if you could have any question answered? Mm. 
And I said, it doesn't have to be anything about astronomy, just wide open. And I love to read the responses the students gave to that. It gave me such an insight into what they were really thinking. And believe it or not, at a secular university, the biggest category of response was always questions about God. Interesting. And, you know, is there a God? Um, what happens when I die? Is there life after death? Uh, how can I know that I'm going to heaven? Um, those yeah. are the kind of questions. And then I also would just, um, again, this was not part of any course requirement or anything. It was just a way to um, get the students to hand in a piece of paper with their name on it and right. then give me something to read at the same time. And um, so I would ask, what's the purpose of our existence? And that that actually came from an introduction to one of the astronomy books where the author um, of the textbook that we were using said in the introduction, astronomy can help us to learn the meaning of our existence. Wow. So I thought, well, okay, let's see what the students think about that. And um, again, the biggest category was always purpose related to um, kind of something beyond the everyday life, yeah. uh, related to serving God or um, finding meaning in life and that sort of a thing. So as a result of that, um, over years, I had, you know, I would say a few thousand responses by students to all these questions. And I began to really get a feeling that students wanted more than just the content of the nitty gritty of whatever course I was teaching. Yeah, yeah. And so I designed this course uh, called the Boundaries of Science, where we would talk about um, content, but also discussions of big questions. Mm. And um, so I wrote up a syllabus for it and a course description, kind of pitched it to my department chair. And he's said, this should be taught in the honors college here at Ball State, mm. where they're actually kind of their charter uh, by the university was to uh, look at the interconnections of disciplines and uh, to consider big questions. Yeah. So we went to the dean and, and he approved it. And I ended up teaching it for like six years. Uh, became my favorite course, and it was yeah. Well, I, I wish I could take that course. <laughs> it was it was a delight. I I, uh, I think the students, for the most part, always enjoyed it. You know, I did maybe get a complaint that there was too much science because I couldn't help but put that into it. It, it was uh, sure. kind of built around a, an astronomy curriculum, but uh, with a lot of times for the students to be broken up into groups of five and just discuss these big questions in among themselves. And then we'd uh, bring it to the whole class and say what each group had been talking about. And the class kind of taught itself. Mm. Well, it was this course that after, like I said, maybe six or a little more years of me teaching it and really enjoying it, uh, somehow this atheistic uh, professor and evolutionary biologist uh, found out about it the course. And yeah. he, uh, Jerry Coyne was his name. He was at University of Chicago and, um, you know, so not even in the same state. And he um, <laughs> kind of challenged the university saying, you know, what are you doing allowing this course to be teach? This professor is obviously pushing religion down the throats of these students. Mm. And uh, it's a violation of 
you know, even the First Amendment, he was saying, you know, and, and you know, you're being unconstitutional, teaching religion in a public sphere, which of course I never did, but that was yeah. the uh, kind of misunderstanding that he had. So that led to just months of intense scrutiny by the university and special committees and reports said to write and wow. uh, wasn't sure if I'd keep my job or not because I wasn't um, I wasn't not tenured at that point yeah. at the university. And um, so the university eventually canceled the course, uh, I think just to try to make the media um, kind of drama go away. They didn't want that kind of attention. Sure. And um, so I did not lose my job, which I was thankful for. And uh, what I learned during that time is that, okay, uh, doesn't feel good to kind of be attacked for your faith or oh, misunderstood boy. for your yeah. faith. But uh, I'll tell you, it sure made the Bible come alive. The mm -hmm. the New Testament, um, you know, you kind of read about being persecuted or um, taking a stand for your faith or what happened to Paul or the apostles. And it's interesting. Yeah. But sometimes not exactly where we live, thankfully, in this country. Um, but, um, you know, began to taste it a little bit and yeah. realized how much uh, Jesus went through. You know, talk about mm. being misunderstood yeah. or misrepresented or falsely accused or, you know, suffering injustice um, and and how he just said, Father, forgive them. Mm. They don't know what they're doing. And And that to me was, I think, the biggest and most significant lesson that the Lord brought me to was that place of being able to just let go of it, let God take care of whatever it was to, in my heart, speak out forgiveness, uh, you know, so that I could honestly say, Father, forgive them, whoever these people were who were uh, behind the wow. kind of push to try to get the course canceled or, and me shut down and to misunderstand what I was doing. So, because what I, I learned from studying the word, and I feel like what the Lord helped me understand was that it's through extending forgiveness to others mm. that Jesus can then extend the kingdom of heaven. You know, it says that he's sitting at his father's right hand uh, from the time, you know, of his resurrection. Yeah. Um, so it says he's ruling from there, but how does he rule? And the word says it's a throne of grace. He mm. rules by extending forgiveness still. And, and I think he uses us as, as part of that process. When we forgive others, Christ's kingdom extends another few yeah. feet further out. You know, it's, uh, it's an amazing privilege and, um, something I can't even fully understand, but, um, like I said, a privilege to be a part of that. Joe, maybe you've got a question at this uh, point. Yes, fascinating uh, listening to you, Eric. Uh, I want to know when this occurred because uh, it made national headlines. I think I remember hearing about this uh, when it happened. And also, what did your students think of your course, Boundaries of Science? Okay, so the whole thing was in 2013, so about 10 years ago. Mm. Um, my, my students, uh, 
liked the the course and even when because i was teaching it actually when this um kind of atheistic attack against the course began that was the spring semester and then i was teaching a smaller section for a summer school with mm -hmm. a small group of students and um so we had to continue that while this was you know front page newspaper headlines in muncie yeah and you know in in larger media more well-known media outlets around the the country you know national uh news huntington huffington post and the uh, um, usa today and um inside higher ed and you know all of these kind of uh outlets and some of the articles and headlines were not at all pretty you know it's like physics professor accused of teaching religion and and things like that and so but the students um some of them who by their own admission were not christians they were not even believers in god defended the course publicly and would oh. write uh, letters to the editor uh of the newspaper and so on um saying how much they enjoyed the ability to have a venue a course where they could yeah. freely express their opinions and um that they were supportive of how i just sort of let the conversation uh develop uh, as the students uh kind of guided it with their own thoughts and then maybe provided a little feedback if they were getting off into some field of science uh, you know or maybe made some mistakes in scientific understanding i would just try to rate it in so that we were within the context of what is really known about science yeah um but the idea was that scientific evidence actually can point to something beyond nature. Yeah. And, uh, now, in your book, uh, Cancelled Science, you tell the story, but yes. do you also kind of give an apologetic presentation for God and science? Yes, definitely. The The book is, is containing both of those um, topics. Probably the major part of the book is... Um, related to evidence for god from from nature uh, uh astronomy physics um even some more kind of philosophical i guess you might say considerations such as the evidence of uh beauty and our perception oh, wow. of that great um uh, thoughts about the the mind and our ability to have free will um, so those those are in there and a little bit of then my own kind of personal journey as well as what happened uh with this course and the atheist yeah. attack so i i do share both of it but the majority of the material is um you know it would be familiar to um anyone who has read reasons to believe works yeah uh, a lot of the evidence is is similar but um you know i I've, I've been reading rtb books about astronomy and other topics uh biology for for years so a lot of that's there but then with my own teaching and research i've added a little bit uh yeah of novel ma material as well eric it seems to me that uh this design argument um uh, you know from paley to the present um the issue of fine-tuning seems to be such a powerful uh argument what what aspect of the design the broad design argument what do you find to be the most uh, persuasive or you know what 
what really leads you to think, hey, this is real evidence for God? Well, that's that's a good question and a perfect setup because I, I do feel like the fine-tuning argument is uh, a extremely powerful and legitimate uh, argument for the existence of a of a creator who designed us to exist and um so some of the the fundamental kind of parameters of the entire universe yeah uh that even predate life such as the expansion rate of the universe needing to be finely tuned for stars life planets to exist at all yeah that's powerful but then um I know Dr. Ross, Hugh Ross, has very adequately in his book, for example, Improbable Planet, yeah. um, outlined the particular kind of unique properties of planet Earth to support life. And, uh, you know, that's that's been extremely impressive to me. And then it goes even further uh, into the biological side of things when you begin yeah. to look at the design of living systems. and. Um, so, again, you know, RTB has addressed all this in Dr. Rana's book about uh, the origin of life. And um, so all of it together paints to me as okay. a scientist yeah. an extremely persuasive argument that there must be uh, a God. I Just from my scientific, I guess, experience, understanding, research... I would be convinced that there is a creator, even if I didn't have this background in church um, as, in my own personal belief. I think that the evidence from science is extremely persuasive, that natural processes cannot account for what we see. Um, now, for those of us who are not scientists, uh, one of the ways people have kind of approached this is is like a control panel that you've got all of these knobs mm -hmm. and they have to be carefully dialed in. Um, I mean, that that really struck me when I heard that, that, you know, with the constants of physics, if they're a little more or a little less, you know, you don't have the universe. Exactly. Talk a little bit about that. Exactly. That, that particular image, it, it um, resonates with me because... Um, one of the things I've been doing for the last year and a half is some uh, outreaches on university campuses yeah. with um, God's Not Dead events. Yeah. And uh, it's a multimedia presentation. Uh, Dr. Rice Brooks and I speak, and and he has a slide that shows exactly what you're describing. Okay. It's like a, a, a mammoth uh, soundboard, control board with yeah. you know hundreds of knobs and, and dials that all have to be set just to get things to be recorded properly to sound right. And that's that's child's play compared to <laughs> what would be needed to get the universe to be able just to exist yeah. and have stars that um, could support life on a planet. Wow. Um, so each of the fundamental physical parameters. You know, if you've ever taken a physics course, you've maybe learned a few of these, like the four forces of nature. Well, they all have certain strengths yeah. and they all have to be, it turns out, pretty much just what they are in order for this universe to be able to support life at all. And then there's fundamental constants of nature, like the speed of light. 
Well, that's turn, it turns out the speed of light is not just responsible for how fast light travels, which you might think, but what could be special about that? Because the speed of light as a value shows up in multitudes of other um, equations in physics that govern things like even the structure of the atom. So the speed of light is related to the oh. stability of molecules yeah. and atomic structure. And it all needs to be within certain narrow ranges or else you just would never even get life. Yeah. So um, it's it's entirely uh, more than you can ascribe to just luck. I, I remember hearing one atheistic uh, professor in my years at Ball State, he was invited in from some other university, and he was talking about these uh, finely tuned parameters, and he, then he stopped and he kind of leaned forward to the audience, and it seemed like his eyes were even bulging out a little bit. He just says, and it's just dumb luck. <laughs> Since when is appealing to luck a scientific description of yeah. anything? You know, and, yeah. and, and yet, I think uh, the probabilities are so low that even the luck argument uh, really begins to look uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Joke, comment, or question? Yeah, you started uh, talking about what you're doing now, and I think uh, I, for one, and probably our listeners would like to hear a little bit more about your events, uh, God's Not Dead with Dr. Rice Brooks, you mentioned. Uh, how often do you do this? Where do you go? And how, how have you been received? What do you talk about? Tell us a little bit more about that. Okay. Well, th thank you. Um, again, this is uh, an opportunity that has come my way really as a result of the persecution at Ball State wow. over my Boundaries of Science course. So God works all things together for good. Yes. That's you know one of our familiar Bible promises. And yet I've seen how this has played out because that time of the persecution at Ball State was really one of the most difficult experiences of my life. I could imagine. Maybe not not the most difficult, but it was no picnic, and it went on for, for months and months. Um, but out of it came this connection with uh, Dr. Rice Brooks, who is the author of the book, God's Not Dead, that yeah. kind of became the movie series. And... Um, so he heard about me through the national media uh, attention over my course and contacted me out of the blue one day and uh, actually drove up to Muncie to to meet me from he's from Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. And so we became friends and stayed in touch over the years. He's the one that said, you need to write a book about this, mm. you know, tell what you taught in your course and tell your story. So that led to this book, Canceled Science. Um, but, um, you know, I left Ball State, eventually went to Biola, taught there for three years. Um, but, uh, when I had finished that kind of time with Biola, um, Dr. Brooks was just beginning to start these God's Not Dead university outreach events again in person. Uh, they had been going before the, uh, COVID-19 shutdown. Yeah. And uh, then they had to kind of take a break from that because nobody was on campus. <laughs> right. um, they did some online events, and I participated in a couple of those initially. But um, so uh, for about the last year and a half now, we've been 
traveling together to uh, sometimes as many as a dozen different universities in a in a given semester. Mm. Um, so almost one a week sometimes, and uh, all over the country. And uh, we usually try to work with a local campus ministry group. It, it helps to receive an invitation from them uh, to have access to the university. And then um, we do an evening event um, midweek in, in one of the larger venues on campus so that uh, we get anywhere from 200 to 800 students wow. coming. It's, very, it's very well attended. And um, so, you know, the advertisement is God's not dead, uh, evidence for God in an age of uncertainty. Mm. I think that's fairly appealing to students. And um, we get students who are Christians coming, but lots of non-believers, which is ideal. Yeah. And so we have uh, maybe an hour and a half multimedia presentation where you know, we're speaking. Dr. Brooks is the main speaker, and we present lines of evidence kind of like we've been talking about on on the fine-tuning of yeah. the universe, um, the fine-tuning found in living systems, present evidence for God also then um, as a, a solution to sort of the moral dilemma of, mm -hmm. you know, where do we get our sense of morality, yeah. uh, of right and wrong, that that's ultimately based in a, a moral God. And then we even um, present historical evidence for okay. the reality of Jesus Christ and his death and, and his resurrection. And then uh, Dr. Brooks always ends with a very uh, uh, personal invitation to the group to pray and receive Christ. Wow. And the amazing thing is, um, you know, we've had up to over a hundred students receive Christ in, in one event. Uh, so these are uh, major secular schools. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, we've been from Florida uh, to California uh, with with schools. Um, nice. And the last one we did in the spring was at University of Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I'm very thankful for this. We've, we've got a, a busy lineup starting uh, in September uh, for wow. this, this coming semester. And uh, so that's kind of my main occupation now. I've uh, I've backed away from full time teaching more okay. so that I I can have time to to travel and uh, yeah, it's uh, travel and speak at these outreach events. We even did one at Ball State uh, last fall oh, nice. that I organized, and um, it was really a beautiful event. There was such a huge outpouring of community support. So it was not just students who came. We filled the second largest uh, kind of uh, concert venue on campus, 600 or so people there. There's a lot of community people, lots of students, but folks who had heard of what had happened to me you know, yeah. 10 years ago there. And so in that one event, I was able to speak directly and share evidence for God as creator and Jesus as savior. Uh, you know, it's more than twice as many students as I had um, in six years of teaching that Boundaries of Science course that wow. Ball State canceled. Wow. So again, because of them canceling that, I was able to have this much bigger impact. That's exciting. It's amazing again how God uh, comes through and works all things for good. Let me let me ask you this, Eric. Um, you know, when, when I think of science, I think of uh, the pursuit of truth in the natural world. Um, 
you know, science is a very intellectual discipline. Um, I, I think to do science well, you need to be fair-minded. You need to look at all the evidence that you can and mm-hmm. test it and things of that nature. But there are these times where it seems that some people are not welcome at the table uh, in science. I, I realize that religion is very controversial in our nation, but do you think that secular scholars, um, uh, are are they aware that maybe they have biases and maybe there are maybe they don't know all of these kinds of things? Uh, I, I know it's easy maybe as an intellectual to think that we're neutral and we don't have biases, but what, what's, what's your thinking about that? Well, I would say that scientists are, are people just like any anybody else. Yeah. And so you know, you're right that, yes, we all have our um, kind of worldview that we come to the table with, uh, whether it's uh, like myself, kind of growing up in a, a faith-based uh, environment or and you know, completely secular atheistic uh, upbringing that um, they also have that worldview, and um, not everybody is perhaps aware of their own worldview. Yeah. I think um, in in science, you know, my experience with a lot of colleagues in the science uh, departments where I've taught. Um, I would say that a lot of them will just say, uh, we don't know, okay. uh, you know, kind of take that position. I, and, and honestly, in a day-to-day basis, most academic researchers, or, uh, even if it's not in an academic field, say, uh, you know, government lab or, or maybe a researcher for some, uh, industrial corporation, that involves science. Most of them are just busy, busy with their day-to-day work. Sure. And they, they've got to do that. And, and that's what kind of puts their bread on the table. Yeah. And um, so big questions, they may be aware of it and some may have a casual interest. Some may never even bother with it. But um, I think that due to kind of a, a lack of, really devoted broad reading on the topic a lot of people just um have never really considered all of the evidence that can point towards a creator yeah. you know there are some who are active atheistic uh, almost militant in trying to put down anything having to do with religion sure but even them i would suggest you know if any are listening i would just say you know to consider whether or not their worldview and their atheistic outlook is based totally on science or whether it's based on sort of a um, inner conviction that they have long held, maybe based on something other than science. Yeah, I, I know that there are those who have turned away from belief in God simply because they've been hurt by yeah. believers who maybe did something they thought was wrong or perhaps they have some general idea that church people are hypocritical or they they yeah. just can't accept the idea that there's a good god because there's so much what looks like just unexplainable evil in the world yeah and so i think that those kinds of motivations my experience 
are more prevalent for why people claim to be atheists than someone who says, I've studied all of the scientific evidence and all of the fields, and I've tried to rationally understand it and come to an objective uh, conclusion. And in my opinion, atheism is the best mm. uh, and the best model, and it fits the data the best. Yeah. I don't know anybody who's come to be an atheist from those starting points. And, you know, there may be those out there, uh, but um, I have met many people who are atheistic because they're mad at something having to do with the idea of God. So scientists are people too, and they, they're <laughs> yes. sinners too. Uh, we all are. Joe, maybe last question or comment? Uh, yeah, one last question. Just out of curiosity, did uh, Jerry Coyne show up for your Ball State event uh, later <laughs> on? <laughs> Not that I know of. You know, okay. He could have been uh, sitting in the back there, but I, I, I sincerely doubt it. Um, and, you know, I I would have been so happy for him to be there. You know, it would have been great if he had, could have come and, and sat in on my Boundaries of Science course yeah. uh, to actually see how things were being handled and, um, you know, to have a place at the table. You know, if he has opinions, you know, let's, let's look at them. Yeah. Uh, let's examine the evidence. And um, so I believe that... Uh, objective examination of the evidence from science or other fields will point towards the truth of God as creator. Yeah. Eric, if our listeners want to get a hold of you, do you have online sources? Where can they get your book? How can they contact you? Um, well, I don't have a, a personal website. Um, I think that contacting RTB okay. uh, with an email will certainly be forwarded to me yeah. and I'd be happy to respond to anyone uh, with individual comments or questions. And my book canceled science is available uh, through Amazon is probably the easiest way yeah. to. Uh, and the that. subtitle of that is uh, the subtitle is what some atheists don't want you to see. Okay. Wow. And uh, so that's just kind of an allusion to uh, the course and how I think that, some atheists maybe were objecting to the evidence that was being presented in the course yeah. that pointed towards the creator. Well, we're very happy to have you here. Um, I am, you know, I, you. I'm really struck, Eric, by how the Lord brings good things out of very difficult times. I know all of us can relate in one way or another, or yes. maybe health problems or job problems and mm -hmm. That Romans 8.28 passage is such a treasure. Uh, but uh, Joe, Eric's going to be with us as a visiting scholar, and I know tomorrow you're going to give a staff talk that I'm looking forward to. So thank yes. you again for being on our program. Thank you. This has been a very encouraging uh, discussion. Uh, thank you, and may the Lord bless your work. Our guest has been Dr. Eric Hedin. Uh, his book is Cancelled Science, what some atheists don't want you to see. Uh, Eric also writes for the Discovery Institute. You can check out uh, his intelligent design articles at evolutionnews.org. It's going to wrap it up for this podcast. Uh, let us know your comments and questions. You can reach out to Ken via Twitter, which is at RTB underscore K samples. And we'll be glad to read your comment or question here. Get clear thinking sent to your device by subscribing to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, 
and most podcast services. For Can Samples, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at reasons.org.